Oh, hey, that was abrupt. Good morning, Mosaic. Good morning. So glad to see you guys in the house. We're here in person today. I'm so, so excited. Also excited that you are here if you are joining us live stream. Now, some of you are like, you are not Pastor Naeem. Hey, you're right. I am not. Um, Unfortunately, Pastor Naeem had a death, an unexpected, um, very close family friend passed away this week, and so he had to be out of town and asked me to step in. So I am Kristen. I am also on staff here at Mosaic. Um, I'm just grateful to be here today. You guys can continue to pray for the Fazl family, and you continue to pray for me because I just found out I was going to do this. So we can do this together, though, right? We can do this. (laughs) We can do this. All right. So last Sunday, Pastor Naeem started a brand new series called No Other, and it was fire. It was so, so good. If you missed last week, you have to go back and catch it. But this series is a reminder of what we are called to as a church, that we um, are followers of Jesus and we choose no other power or love or label or name or party or affiliation or anything else to pledge our allegiance to or to follow. So today, we are going to talk about no other label. Did you guys get a label, hopefully, on your seat or when you came in? If you're at home, just grab a post-it or a piece of tape or a piece of paper. I know you're sitting there and you're like, I'm not getting up to grab anything. Just notes on your phone, maybe, okay? You just do that. So we love labels, and we have labels for all kinds of things. So sometimes we label, we give ourselves labels based on who we are, right? So like, mom. I'm a mom, you're a mom, you're a dad, you're a sister. Oh, I should put this one on. I'm a wife. Don't want to forget that one. Put that one right here over my heart, okay? We have labels based on who we are. We also have labels based on what we do. That's what people always ask, right? What do you do? I'm a teacher, I'm a lawyer, I'm a banker, I'm a leader, I'll put that here. I'm a psychologist, I'm an author, I'm an influencer, whatever we are. I can say that because I actually claim that label myself. Um, we, we have these labels. We also have labels for what we are, right? I'm funny. I'm a peacemaker. I'm a challenger. I am outspoken. Don't take it seriously. You know I didn't mean that. This is just who I am. I just say things like that. Those are labels that we use to explain ourselves. Also, we have labels for who we identify with. Political party, right? That's somebody you identify with. Where am I put this one? And you guys are all like waiting. You're like, what is hers gonna say, right? <laughs> Voter! Come on. I'm not gonna get that crazy up in here. We just started. All right, so maybe you are a liberal, a conservative, you're a CrossFitter, you're an anti-vaxxer, you're an alumni from a certain school. We all wear labels. Some of them are good, some of them are toxic. Some of them we are wearing because we think they're good, even though we may find out today that maybe they're not. Sometimes we wear labels because we think we are supposed to, because someone has told us, if you wanna be a Christian, you have to wear this label. If you wanna be a Christian, you have to be this thing. The problem is that we live our labels out. Have you ever grabbed a label? Maybe like think back to junior high, high school. You didn't even know what the label was or what it stood for, right? You just wanted it because it was popular. 
And so sometimes we do that and we slap labels on ourselves without even thinking, what does this mean? The problem is a label is a name tag. And so it's going to tell people about you. It's going to speak for you and give people information about you, whether you've really thought about what it is yourself or not. So the question today is what happens when we can't wear those labels anymore? What happens? Maybe you can't afford it, but you try to afford it anyway. This is why girls go to New York City and they go on the back doors of boutiques and shops with their little fake bags to pull through bins of real labels to slap those on because they're like, I can't afford that, Louis, but I know I want one. And I want everybody else to think that I can walk around with it. Maybe you don't have the capacity to afford it anymore. You had a job change or something happened. Maybe there was a pandemic and everything flipped upside down, right? And you don't have the capacity to be that anymore. Maybe you can't claim it. Maybe there's a label you're trying to claim, but it is not working out. Maybe you want to claim the label of spouse. You're like, I'm on Tinder, I'm on, Bub on Bumble, I'm swiping all the ways, right, left, up and down, I can't seem to find the right person. Maybe something happens and you just can't claim that label anymore. Maybe you want to be a parent and that's a label that you are trying to claim but you just can't do it. Or because of a loss or because something happened with a broken relationship, that also is a label that you can't claim anymore. If we rely solely on these labels and we lose them, who are we then? Maybe we can't achieve it. Maybe it's a label that you can't achieve. A lot of labels, I think, are born out of competition. Um, it's not necessarily that we wear the label that says like best or winner, but we have decided and told ourselves that the group that we're part of has it figured out. We know better than everybody else. The problem is the only way to get there is to climb on or over or on top of all the other groups that are not as good as we are. So we look at them as being not as smart, not as intelligent, right? We also hurt people with our exclusivity. We allow labels to name us, and it's good because sometimes it gives us a group or a place to belong, but it also divides us. So I'm gonna take these off, and we're gonna talk today about the label that we should be wearing. And I'm sure there is somebody out there, there's one of you, who's like, I don't see labels. I don't see labels. Okay, see me after service, because I have a resource I want to give you, okay? You see labels. We do see labels because we do see people, and we see the differences in people. Ignorance is bliss, but it puts you in a bubble, and one day that bubble's gonna pop, and you're gonna find yourself in the real world, and you're gonna need to know what's going on. In the next few months, it's gonna get tense. Some of you are like, it already is. Yes, that's true. The world, your friends, your family, they are just waiting to put a label on you. They are waiting for you to say something or post something or do something that you have no intention behind, but they're waiting to make assumptions and stick a label on you. Some of you don't know it, but it's already happened. Or you do know it. You look in the, in the mirror and you see labels sticking, sticking out and showing themselves to you that you're like, I don't even know where this came from. It might be a label of shame, failure, not good enough, damaged, used up, forgotten, unloved, broken, unseen, unappreciated. Friends, we have to know what is sticking to us. 
Romans 12:2 says, "Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect." See, this verse is not about actually leaving the world. That's not a solution to any of these problems. You were sent into this world. You have a reason and a purpose to be here. And it's okay to want purpose. If you've ever asked like, what is my purpose? Why am I here? This is it. This is your purpose. So you can get excited that there is a reason for you to be in this world. Everyone you encounter, your friends, your family, your competition, your colleagues, the people pretend to ignore you, but you know they're secretly watching you, right? They are searching for the same thing. They want to know, what is my meaning? What is my purpose? What is the right label for me to put on? By letting God transform you and give you a new label, you can show the world what is possible. And we like labels right? We like labels. We want answers. We want to identify. We want to be able to tell other people and remind ourselves when we forget, this is who I am. We like certainty. But faith at its core is in the unlabeling. Faith in its core is in the unlabeling. I'm going to tell you today you have one label, and that is to be the church. It's time for us to figure out what we need to keep, what we need to toss, and what we need to reclaim. So before we talk about what the church is, I think we need to take off some things and talk about what the church is not, okay? So the church is not binary. Being the church is not about being binary. Now, in my early faith days, I would not have said this. I definitely thought everything was one or the other. It was black or white. It was bad or good. There were two choices. If it's not good, it's bad. If it's not white, there's no gray area, it's black. One or the other. But that kind of faith is based on one decision. You say the one prayer. You walk up for the one altar call. You raise your hand when the pastor says to that one time, and buddy, you better make sure that the pastor sees you or it doesn't even count, okay? You're out, then you're in. You're broken, then you're whole. You're a sinner, then you're saved. But that kind of faith, that kind of religion is not about being transformed. That is sin management to make sure that we always stay on the right side. Messing up does not put you back in the sinner category. That is what Jesus came for, so that is no longer the case. It is no longer about tallying our good things to make sure that we stay on the right side. I think this is why people think Christians are judgy, right? Because we're so intent on being right that we don't see people. We just see that they're in the wrong camp, they're on the wrong team, they're on the wrong side. We just see their problem, and we don't see them for who they are. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Anybody know that one? I don't know that I ever really meant it growing up. I think I truly wanted to, and in my heart of hearts, I think I know I wanted to love people, but I didn't. It was more important to me what side they were on and that they were on the wrong side than who they were. And for me, too, a lot of it was based on pride. I think I secretly hoped that people who were making choices, not the choices I make, I think I secretly hoped that people who, especially in high school, I was a a very good girl, I followed all the rules, I lived by this binary religion. And I think I secretly hoped that the people who were drinking and smoking and drugs and doing all the bad things, I think I kind of wanted their lives to fall apart. 
right? Or not fall apart completely, but like at least have consequences. I wanted them to be caught because I needed validation. I needed vindication that my choices were right and that I was on the right side. The church can't be binary. I believe that there's room for both and instead of either or. Leaving one side doesn't automatically put you on another one. Taking off one label doesn't give you another specific one that you have to pick up and put on. It's tempting to say, well, if I'm not this, then I'm that, but that is just a different version of the same story. The church can't be binary. Even God isn't binary, guys. There's three of him, so binary means two. It just doesn't work out that way. <laughs> the other thing the church can't be is self focused. We have to remember that church is not about us. 1 Corinthians 10:17 says, "Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf." See, the world says your life is all you have. Yours, your loaf, and you better grab it. It's about your voice, your appearance, your wealth, your success, your truth, your relationship with Jesus. It's about your loaf. But that is a scarcity mindset. Take what's yours, forget about everybody else. Whatever you're going after is important, and you better grab it up before somebody else does. Even in the church, I think we see this. Well, I would care for those people, but nobody's caring for me. I can't serve because I need to be fed. I need to get my Jesus on Sunday morning. Who's pouring into me? Who's serving me? Who's caring about me? When we have the mindset that some people are called to be the church, some people are called to give, some people are called to serve, some people are called to care, I think our focus is a little bit blurry. Church, even on Sunday mornings, is not about us as individuals. I like reading, I'm going to read you the same verse again in a different translation. I like reading different translations because it can help me to better understand what's happening, but also I think for some of us who have old religious labels that uh, growing up, it's easier for us to read things in different words that don't necessarily have so much meaning or um, attachment to what we thought faith was. So again, 1 Corinthians 10, 17 in the message version. After it talks about the loaves, our, many, our manyness becomes oneness. Then it says, rather, we become unified in him. I love this. We don't reduce Christ to what we are. He raises us to what he is. We're not bringing Jesus down to our level. He's going to raise us up to his. See, the problem with thinking that the church is about us and our personal lives is that we miss the bigger and more beautiful story of what God is doing in the world. If we reduce the gospel to a singular salvation story, we have missed the whole point. The next part of Romans 12 tells us, again, we are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Love that. We all belong to each other. Not just in this room, not just on live stream, you're still part of our community, but in the world. You are not in the church. The church is not a place. This is not a building that you walk into and check the box and go, whew, made it today, I still get to go to heaven this week. Okay, the church is not a place, it is a people. You are the church. And sure, the church is here for you, but the church is also here for you and you 
and you, and you, and you, and you, and us as a collective, the church is one body. We belong to each other. You are the church, and you are called to be so for the world. The other side of self-focus and the church not being about us is that it's also not dependent on us. I don't believe that the mission of the church is to bring salvation. Y'all are like, get off stage, go. I don't believe that the mission of the church is to bring salvation. Jesus said, go and tell people. He did not say, go and convince them. Go and argue with them. Go and have Twitter fights with them. I'm not on Twitter, so I don't know what those things are called. Tweet battles? I don't know. (laughs) Do not go and persuade people. He said, go and tell. Our job is not to save people or to convert them to Christianity. Romans 12, 2 is not about transforming other people into us. It is about them being transformed. It is about you being transformed by Christ in you. The point is not all for us to end up in the same exact place. That takes us back to binary thinking. I don't even think that's possible. We all start in different places. We have different stories. We have different lives. We meet Jesus at different times in our lives. He moves and speaks differently and in different ways with all of us. I think what our job is, is to provide environments where people can be accepted, to provide places where when we invite them to come to church with us and meet Jesus, they actually want to go because they feel welcomed and loved there. Our job is to make following Jesus appealing, to live it in a true way, not with smoke and mirrors, not prosperity gospel, not everything is perfect, and to try to trick people to come in so that we can check it off or get another crown jewel in our crown when we get to heaven. Our job is to do the best we can to reflect Christ in light, in hope, in the love of God, and to allow him space to work through us. Then we need to get out of the way and allow him to move and let God take it from there because God is smarter than us. He's smarter than me. God can do more things. He is more powerful. And if he wants to bring someone into a relationship with him, he doesn't need me to do it. We have to get out of his way. Okay, the last thing that church is not is living in legalism. You might have heard the word legalism before. Legalism is excessive adherence to the law. It's about rules. And it's about all the rules and following the rules, and you better know the rules. Okay, on one hand, it's easier this way. I grew up with this kind of thinking, this kind of um, mind frame for faith. And on one hand, like I said, it was easier because everything had an answer. You just asked the question, and it was yes or no. Yes, another question, it was yes or no. And if you weren't sure, every now and then it would be tricky. And so then the question would be, okay, well, how far is too far? And then they would kind of give you an answer. All you have to do, follow the rules, do the checklist, do all the right things. Yay, you're a Christian, you're going to heaven, don't break any rules. That was legalism. Legalism is literalism. It is blindly believing what we're told at face value. And this is not just an obedience in the things that we are doing. Literalism and legalism can also frame and tell us how we are supposed to believe for other people or other groups. This group of people think this about them. This is how you should vote. This is how you should use your body. This is what you should wear. 
there's a theologian named James Fowler, and he wrote a book called The Psychology of Human Development and the Quest for Meaning. The Quest for Meaning makes me think it's one of those like choose your own adventure. <laughs> you know, I'm like, this is gonna be exciting. Um, so he defines stages of faith based on ages or milestones, like you would track, you know, kids growing up. So his stage two, he calls the child stage. And this is where I think legalism fits. We take everything literally, and it becomes a cause-effect or if-then type of religion. See if any of these sound familiar. If I pray this way, God will answer. If I follow the rules, God will be happy. If I have a quiet time, nothing bad will ever happen to me. If I do everything God asks, then he will give me all the desires of my heart. See, if-then thinking essentially just leads us to more labels. For example, here is something that I used to believe. Okay, ready? Buckle up. Okay. If I am pro-life, then I must be a conservative. If I am a conservative, then I must be a Republican. If I am a Republican, then I must be an evangelical. Or, if I am pro-choice, I must be a liberal. If I'm a liberal, then I must be a Democrat. If I'm a Democrat, as I saw it, I must not love God at all. This is what happens with if-then thinking, okay? Some of you are having hives. It's just an example, okay? I'm not saying these things are true. <laughs> but this is what happens with if-then theology, right? We pave the way for things like this to happen. And it's not just in politics. It's just not just with these topics. I've seen it happen with sex and purity culture, with race. There are so many places that this can happen. When we allow denominations or political parties or religion to hijack terms and turn words into labels, it gives them power. And then that power is a reason for them to inflict impossible standards, rules, and guidelines on people for the right way of living. We have to take the power back by refusing to walk around with those labels all over us, remembering that we do not follow political parties, religion, denominations. Colossians 2.20 says, you have died with Christ and he has set you free from the spiritual powers of this world. So why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch, whatever, all the things. Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require, require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. Who wants to sign up for all those? No grace, no room for mistakes. We require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. These are all easy things that we would want to boast about if we were able to achieve them. He goes on, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. If rules of religion are void of relationship, they are only tools of manipulation. Church is not say a prayer, be saved, go to church, be nice, do good things, die and live in a cloud castle. It is not a list of do's and don'ts. It is not just to make people with better morals who make better choices and are just kind. 
If a relationship with God could come by rule keeping, Jesus died unnecessarily. All right, so those are the things that I believe the church is not. Those are things that I think we should not wear as the, in, under the label of the church. So what is the church, right? You're like, okay, whoa, that was a lot of things. What do I do? I believe that the church is to be Jesus followers. Yes, there are things to do. Oh, sorry. And there are, there are guidelines, of course, but I believe that being the church is fluid. It's not binary. It's not stagnant. Back to James Fowler in his third stage, he calls it the adolescent stage. He said, this is where we conform to authority. So we've moved from stage two to stage three, conform to authority. We reject new things. Anything that does not fit with what we thought before, with what we were told, our old faith, we don't want it. We don't want any challenges. We are not going to ask any questions, and we don't want anybody else <laughs> to ask questions either. We fear or ignore conflict. We don't like change. We want consistency because that is how they taught us that church should be. Many of us are here as our teachers and our parents wanted us here when we were kids, right? I think political uh, politicians want us here now. Just recognize me as authority. Do what I say. Trust what I tell you. Trust what I tell you about them. Don't do your own research. And if you're going to ask me the question, why, what's the answer? We all know. Because I said so. Because that's how authority works. Many churches are structured for people at this stage of faith and work hard to ensure that we stay here because it's easy. This is the easiest way to do church. This is how it works best. Think about when you're church hopping or church shopping or whatever you want to call it, when you're looking for a church to call a home, what are you actually looking for? You're looking for familiarity. You're looking for a service order that you're used to. You're looking for songs that you know the words to so that you can sing. You're looking for the same speaker on that stage, and if you walk in and there's somebody else, your first thought is like, ugh, I should have stayed home. <laughs> I've been in your seat, I know. Okay? You're looking for Christianese, whatever the terms are that you know and you understand. You're looking for a place where you know what to say and you know what to do. Because at some point, a preacher, a teacher, a theologian, somebody with a whole bunch of letters behind their name told you, this is how church should be. I think this is partly why we're so segregated on Sundays. We rely so heavily on these labels. People come in the door and we're like, oh, hey, that's our label. Come on in. Come on in. We recognize that. You believe what we believe? Come on. Oh, you? You have questions? You're not 100% sure? You don't believe what we believe? Oh, okay. That's a different label. That church is down the street. So if you got this one, we recognize it. If your label is different than ours, get to stepping. That is how we become segregated. But friends, it's a luxury to do what works best. It's a luxury to sit, stick with what is easiest. And it's not what we're called to. This is why at Mosaic we say hope for all. You've seen it on all the t-shirts, right? We believe that hope is for all, not just the people who are like us. If you're not sure, come on in. You got questions? Come on in. You don't believe what we believe? You don't even think God is real? Let's go. Hope is for all. I believe this can be reclaimed too. I think we can keep going and move forward, not as individuals alone in our own faith journeys, but together as one church. You understand the power of a group, right? Be people being together, this is why Christians love the word community. It's why you guys are here. 
right? You could be at home singing songs by yourself. It's why even on live stream, you're with us right now watching live. It's why you guys are in the chat room talking to each other. You could sing songs at home. You could be at home alone watching this, but we heard you guys as a staff and you were like, no, we need people. I know. We were made to work together. When we move together, when we're in one place, we move with one mission, one vision, something happens. See, I think Romans 12 also applies to the church. We shouldn't copy the behaviors and customs of the world. We have to let God transform us in the way we think. As the church, are we willing to evaluate and reflect? Are our structures actually helpful? Do our systems actually help bring people to Jesus? Do we have the courage to answer this truthfully and to change when needed, or do we just sit where we are and stay stuck because it's comfortable and easier? I think the next thing that it means to be the church and to wear the label of church is a life lived for other people. I have long, long said that I hate the news. I hate watching the news. I hate it. It makes me sad. It makes me scared. It overwhelms me. I don't understand it. I don't like it. I don't watch it. Okay? Same goes for foreign affairs, politics, geography, history, whatever. I don't understand it, so I just stay away. I let other people tell me what I need to know. If there's something massive, I'm going to find out, right? It'll be on social media. Isn't that the best place to get my news? <laughs> social media? Facebook? Yeah, no. Okay? I could not be bothered for a long time. But then I had to realize when you're old enough to know better but choose to stay uninformed, it's not innocence, it's ignorance. We cannot turn a blind eye to other people. We cannot turn a blind eye to injustice or war or what is happening in other places. If we see hurt out of the corner of our eye and ignore it, we just think it's going to go away, but it's not. I would tell myself, oh, it's sad, but somebody else is going to worry about this. Somebody else is going to fix it. Somebody else is going to care. Somebody else is going to take action. Too often, I could convince myself that I wasn't ready for that yet. It was too big or it was too scary. Or if it was in the context of church or my own faith, it was too sacred a problem to look at. I can't touch this because it's too holy. But I knew deep down that a pull on my heartstrings would require sacrifice and action. Avoidance is a privilege, and living in a bubble is not the condition that God calls us to. The world says, look inward. But Jesus, in John 20, says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. If we don't know the details, if we don't know what's happening, we can't be heartbroken. But we also can't see what's happening. We can't see the despair and the injustice and the mistreatment that is happening to other people. We can get by with just sharing a post of somebody else, sharing somebody else's words, somebody who's done the work and is already in it so that we appear to care. It's on our feed. But if we dig in ourselves to the details, if we truly mean it when we sing, break my heart for what breaks yours, then we have to take action. We have no choice. There are many things in this world that are not fine. <laughs> There's some ugly stuff happening. Pretending it's not isn't a solution. But hope dares to admit that. Hope dares to admit there is some ish going on, 
but it can also be better. As a church, we have to leave our holy bubbles and enter the lives of other people. We have to point out problems. When we see them, we have to call things out. We have to have a plan. Maybe that means peaceful protesting. Maybe it means voting for policy change. Maybe it means volunteering for an organization or just talking about and bringing awareness to something. This does not mean that all of a sudden we all have to become social activists, but we do have to take action. It's how we point people to the answer, which is the cross, which is where they can find healing, reconciliation, and love. We have to see the pain of people and come in with God's spirit. Even as the Father sent Jesus, he is sending us. He is sending you. What if the church stopped standing on issues to sit with people? Not to use their pain for our platforms, not so that we can serve for pats on the back and we can feel good about ourselves, but because that's what God calls us to do. The last thing is to be the church is living in freedom not in legalism, but in freedom, to be your real self and to live into who God made you to be. There's a popular passage in the Gospels where Jesus is asking the disciples, well, who do you say I am? And I don't know if you know this about the disciples. I'm not trying to be like heretical here, but they were just dudes, okay? Like they were just guys. And if you read the Gospels, they were often confused, okay? Yes, they were special, Jesus picked them, but they were just people. So in Matthew 16, Jesus is asking Peter, who do you say I am? And surprisingly, Peter gets the right answer. So then Jesus says to him, and now I'm going to tell you who you really are, who you really are. You are Peter, a rock. If I was Peter, I'd be like, wait, what? You got my name right, but I'm a rock? This is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. This is my church. And it's going to be expansive. Expansive means widespread, extensive, and far-reaching. And the gates of hell, please, Psh, not today, Satan, not my church. Okay, Jesus knows he has a dream and a vision for what we could be. Then he keeps going. I love this. And that's not all. I feel like I'm watching a TV commercial, like promising a magic product here. And that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom, keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no in heaven. It sounds too good to be true, right? But there's no narrator coming in here. There's no narrator coming in to speed talk over Jesus with disclaimers. Not available with other offers. Must be present to win. Don't try this at home, limited time only. No restrictions apply, no. There's also not an expiration date because he wasn't only talking to Peter, he was also talking to us. We get to be this church and have this authority. When we pray, stuff happens, like big, cool, important stuff. What we do here changes eternity. Do you understand that? Have we grabbed on to that? A lot of organizations do good work and they are making things happen. They are changing the world and they are changing people's lives, but no other organization can claim what the church can claim. They can't do what we can do. They can't do what you can do. Don't forget, you are the church because Jesus says so. What he says to us in this passage is, I want you. I'm calling you. I'm sending you. You get to make stuff happen important stuff. And all you have to do is live 
into the calling. Live into the freedom of who Jesus says you are, like he says to Peter, who Jesus says you really are. And when he tells you who you really are, listen. He might tell you you're a rock, (laughs) but he will also call you loved, chosen, and sent. Every moment is a chance for our response. Will we live in this world or of it? Will we move together as the church Jesus dreamed of, the church who is here for the world? Whether you have been in church your whole entire life, maybe you've never set foot inside a church ever. It doesn't matter. You have a picture in your mind of what the church is. You have a picture, a stereotype, a label. Church means something specific to each one of us. Have you ever looked around and thought, God, what in the world were you thinking? This, we are a mess. This is a mess. What an inefficient way to change the world. What was your plan? It feels like that sometimes. I think especially for those of us who have been in church for a long time and we are weary and we are tired. (laughs) But the hope is this, we can go back to just following Jesus. Let's give the church a new label and reclaim what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And see, there are different churches and they stand for different things. And that is okay. It is good. God made us different. He speaks to us differently. He reveals himself to us differently. That is the beautiful thing about Christianity and the really cool thing about how God made us diverse. We don't have to sit in the same sanctuaries to fulfill the church of Jesus together. At Mosaic, we say that we exist to reclaim the message and movement of Jesus. We believe that stuff has been added to what Christianity is. Stuff has been added to the label of the church, and we want to strip it down and peel off the labels and all the layers and get back to being the church that Jesus dreamed of. We want to boldly deconstruct all that has been built on top of the church, and then with grace and intention and inclusion, reclaim it and rebuild what it means. What does that look like for you? What label are you living out? If I gave one of these blank labels to somebody that knows you really, really well, what would they write? Second Corinthians 5 says, if it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. Think about that next time you judge me for being crazy. It's to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, it is also for your benefit. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. There is no going around the fact that if you resonate with this, you no longer live for yourself. You are now the church. You are not a conservative, a liberal, a Republican, a Democrat, an evangelical, a Methodist, a Presbyterian, a Baptist. You are for Jesus. And Paul keeps going in verse 19. He says, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us, through you. Is he? Is he making his appeal through you or are you claiming something else first, some other label, an issue, an affiliation, 
a role that speaks a little bit louder than this role of speaking for Christ, and it tells people what you really are about. He says, we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Do we speak for Christ? Do you? We are the church. This is your new label, ambassador, okay? God is making his appeal through you. And if you're like, I don't like that, I don't wanna be his ambassador. Well, then maybe you should stop calling yourself a Christian. If this is what you want, if this is who you wanna be, if this is what you want to be about, you have to leave your labels behind. Do you have the courage to leave your label behind? What labels do you need to take off so you can reclaim who you were made to be before the world ever put them all over you? 2 Corinthians 4 says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Jars of clay were used to hold important things. They were used to hold valuable things, valuable documents. The Dead Sea Scrolls were contained in a, jars of, in a jar of clay. See, jars of clay are breakable, so they're temporary. They're never intended to hold things forever. And I think it's why that verse starts with the word, but. But we have this treasure in jars of clay because we can't hold it forever, nor should we. Just as you can't keep light in a jar, you hold God's glory, and it is made, made to shine out of you, to show that it's God's power, not our own. You don't have to be perfect to do this. I know it may seem like a tall order. You don't have to be perfect. I promise you that if you ask any of the people that are close to me, they would tell you that I don't do this perfectly. I don't even do this ideally. I choose the wrong labels all the time. I put emphasis on the ones that are not important, and I neglect the ones that really are the most valuable. You don't have to be perfect. God is not asking you to be perfect, just to be His, just to be His church. He can take our death and our ugliness, our mistakes and our misspoken words, our well-intentioned things that turn out to be not so great, and He can make something beautiful and redemptive. You are called you are chosen, you are sent. You can reflect Jesus and let his light shine in a dark, dark world. Will you be brave enough to take off the labels and wear only his as his ambassador in his church? Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for this morning. Father, I thank you for the time um, just to be here and to spend in your word. God, I thank you that you see us just as we are. God, that you want more for our lives, God, that you have put your power in us so that you can use us, God. But help us just to keep our perspective straight and to remember that we are your tools. We are not it. We are not the reason, God, you sent Jesus for the world, and yes, we are included, but so is everyone else. God, help us just to sit in that. Show us this week, Father, what labels we are wearing that we need to take off. Give us the courage, God, I pray courage for my friends, that they would be able to take off the labels that they have been maybe wearing their entire lives. And just to remember that we are your church, that you love us, that you have chosen us, 
and that you are sending us. In Jesus' name, amen.